Welcome to the Rogue Tours podcast. Uh, I'm Tom Jones, and I'm here with Chad Durham. Uh, this is actually our first podcast, so we thought it'd be appropriate to kick things off with a best of list. So we're going to go through our our top 10 of 2015. And this will be a, a two-part podcast, so we don't take too much time. Uh, we'll go ahead and kick things off, and I think first it makes sense to talk about those movies that just missed our list. So, Chad, what are some of the films that just missed your top 10 list in 2015? Yeah, it's always interesting when you make a list like this because I almost feel loyalty to some of these movies, and so you you're, you end up cutting some off that maybe you wish other people would see. And so I, I always like to run through. Um, I actually at the beginning of this year I saw Selma and Foxcatcher, which are actually from 2014. Uh, Selma was one of my favorites that I saw this year, but didn't make this list. Obviously, uh, Carol from Todd Haynes. Uh, I was a big fan of his movie Far From Heaven uh, about 10 or 11 years ago. And Carol is just as gorgeous with great performances. Didn't quite make my top 10. Far From the Madding Crowd, a very sumptuous movie. Beasts of No Nation, which I think had a lot of uh, uh, backlash because it came from Netflix. People didn't want to give it Oscar nominations. Uh, Idris Elba was great in that. A very disturbing and terrifying movie. Great performances, but ultimately too downbeat for me. And then uh, one of the most crowd-pleasing movies of the year, a huge blockbuster, The Martian, uh, which I, you know, I maybe wasn't as big on as other people, but which was a very well-made, very enjoyable movie. Yeah, I really like The Martian. I um, I actually saw it twice in theaters. It was uh, I thought it was really exciting, beautifully shot. I'm always a fan of Ridley Scott. Almost always a fan of Ridley Scott. <laughs> but um, and I thought Matt Damon was incredible in that, but. Same thing. It, it just missed my my top ten. I, you know, I I think it's a stretch for it getting a best picture nomination, um, and I thought it was even more ridiculous getting a Golden Globe nomination in the comedy category. <laughs> well, it was funny in that it, it it was far from comedy, but the Golden Globes always tend to stretch things out. Um, I only have one other movie other than The Martian on my just missed, and that was Steve Jobs. I. Um, you know, it didn't do as well in theaters as uh, with audiences as they hoped it would. Um, but I thought it was an, an excellent movie. Um, having read the book by Walter Isaacson, I thought the performance was really well done. I'd always wondered how they were going to put all of that into a single film. But the way that they filmed it, doing it over the course of just three of Steve Jobs' um, presentations at Apple, I think really did a great job. Um, great job of displaying who he was and kind of his evolution as not just a, a leader and a manager, um, but as a person and, uh, and as within his family. But did a really good job. And I think those performances of Michael Fassbender and Kate Winslet are definitely worthy of nominations. Um, but the movie just, again, just missed my top ten. So yeah. let's... Let's jump in and talk about um, our top tens. Chad, we'll have you go ahead and start and, and tell us what your number 10 was. Yeah, I'll jump in at number 10. I, I wanted to make sure to mention Danny Boyle, the director of Steve Jobs, who always makes uh, quality movies. I'm, I was disappointed I didn't get to see it yet, but I'm excited to, to catch up on that one. Um, yeah, number 10 for me, 
oftentimes when I make a year end list or best of lists, I like to include something that maybe didn't have the reputation that I thought perhaps it deserved. And although my number 10 movie wasn't uh, perfect by any stretch, um, I like the way that it kind of avoided the cliches that usually come in this genre. My number 10 movie is Focus, which is directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, who also directed Crazy Stupid Love, which is another movie that kind of flipped some, in that case, romantic comedy uh, cliches on their head. And in this case, they took a lot of the con movie beats that you usually see and and kind of, I guess if you would disguise them, made us think we knew where the movie was going, but uh, it ended up being more of a love story, which is which is kind of an interesting thing. You had Will Smith and Margot Robbie getting to trade some kind of sexy banter. You had some funny stuff. And uh, yes, some twists like we see in a lot of con movies, but a, a very well shot and ultimately about their relationship more than about trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. And there are so many great scenes in focus. I think that was one reason why uh, I enjoyed it so much. It was like uh, just so many surprising scenes building upon one another. And then and then where it ended, I thought, was uh, not where you expected it to end. So that was one I, I just really had a lot of affinity for this year. Yeah, it was. Uh, I actually really wanted to see that one. And I, it's one that I did miss. It was early in the year. And um, I had lots of opportunities to see it actually on airplanes and things like that. And, and you know, <laughs> sleep kind of uh, was a important for me those times but it's definitely what's on my list i believe it's on netflix or it's coming to netflix this month i believe so um that's one i'll have to check out my number 10 um was bridge of spies and um i think with all the the big exciting movies that kind of come out here at the end of the year uh, bridge of spies has gotten for been forgotten about quite a bit but it really was a great movie. Um, Tom Hanks, um, you know, always, I guess, just does what Tom Hanks does. He's he's excellent in it. And um, but I think a lot of the supporting roles were what were really done. Mark Rylance was an incredible character, um, and it was one of those performances that that really just stood out to you. I thought about it for quite a while afterwards, and I I. Um, you know, I, I'm a huge Spielberg fan, anyway. So anything he does, I'm I'm going to go see, and yeah. most likely I'm going to like. I think he's uh, one of the the greatest storytellers out there. But um, it definitely. it really it really stood out as a as a great film. But it's one that uh, I think is getting overshadowed a bit with a lot of the Revenants and Star Wars and Hateful mm-hmm. Eight and all these big movies that are kind of coming out here at the end of the year. Um, but hopefully it's one that people won't forget about and they'll, they'll take the time to, to see as it comes out. It's probably playing still at a lot of people's theaters, but yeah. um, it'll be on video soon as well. So yeah, Mark, Mark Rylance, uh, is getting a ton of buzz for that performance. And I think it's interesting. I think we do sometimes, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think we take Spielberg for granted sometimes because every time out he does do such a great job. I know for me that I don't always prioritize his movies. And then when I see them, I think, why, why didn't I go see that? You know, the minute that it came out because Spielberg is such a gifted filmmaker and, and like you said, storyteller. Yeah. Um, and so that's one I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I catch as, especially cause it's hitting DVD pretty soon. Yeah. And again, uh, there were, there were so many backup performers there. Amy Ryan, um, as, 
as um, the wife, as Tom Hanks' wife in the movie, and right. you know Alan Alda, who had a very small role. But there's so many of these these people that just you know Spielberg's the great storyteller. He but he also pulls incredible performances out of his actors. And so it, it could be someone that you've never really noticed in movies before, but you see him in a Spielberg film, and they just, they really stand out. I think Mark Rylance is, is one of those people. Um, Amy Ryan has a little bit of a name behind her sure. more, but um, anyway, just a great film. No, that's awesome. Uh, I don't want to go too far off here, but Amy Ryan in Gone Baby Gone is... Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, uh, so my number nine movie of the year was one that actually got a ton of buzz. A lot of people saw it um, and uh, is directed by somebody who I think is going to end up being one of the great storytellers that we have in America as well, and that's Creed, uh, which for a lot of people kind of came out of nowhere when you had the last two Rocky movies, which you could argue that six was pretty good, five was terrible and for creed to come out and is arguably the best i i think a lot of people could put that argument up the first rocky is great and rocky 2 is 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 uh solid the creed is arguably the best and it kind of adopted that style from the first rocky that grittiness um you know favoring realism over the underdog story um great great performance from michael b jordan who obviously reteamed with ryan coogler after Fruitvale Station. And for me, and it's not like I've seen every Stallone performance ever, but for me, one of the, if not the best performance of Sylvester Stallone's career, and I know he had played this character six times before, <laughs> but maybe a credit to him, maybe a credit to playing off Michael B. Jordan, maybe just a credit to Ryan Coogler as a director. It seemed like this was the most uh, realistic, the most subtle, and the most moving for me performance as Rocky that Sylvester Stallone had pulled off. I, I was blown away by the savvy filmmaking in in Creed to take this something that should have felt tired and make it feel refreshing like that. Yeah, it. it you know, I will. We'll talk a little bit more about this later because I have this a little higher on my list. But I, I agree with you. I think as time goes on, that Creed is going to be. Be a standout as one of the the best Rocky films, you know, yeah. easily a top three right now. But oh, yeah. but I also agree it's it's likely the best. And I, anyways, very impressed with it. And and Coogler is one that I, I think deserved a best, not just a best director nomination at the Academy Awards, but I think Creed deserved a best um, best picture nomination as well. It was very well done. Um, yeah, I agree. Anyway, my, my number nine um, was an animated one, Inside Out. Um, this is one of those, well, it's Pixar, right? So everything <laughs> they do pretty much turns to gold. And uh, this one didn't disappoint. And I, I, uh, it's funny, I don't know if it happens more with, with just getting older um, and having kids or what it is, but... I tend to get more and more emotional in these Pixar movies as each one comes out. <laughs> but uh, I just I thought the writing in this one was was so good, so on point, and um, genius, yeah, yeah. And I just I I couldn't believe that you know that any time that I can sit in a movie with my my four year old, my seven year old, and my nine year old and enjoy it as much as they do, if not more. 
I think you've really got something special there. And I, the acting, the performances were great. Amy Poehler, you know, just really um, did a great job of, of bringing out her emotion for that and kind of seeing those range of emotions in her character, not just in the main character of Riley, but also in the character of Joy. I, I really liked it. And I, I think the, the writing of that and that, and it, it's, it's one that I, this is one of those ones where you're almost disappointed that they have a best animated feature category because I think this could stand against um, any of those eight movies nominated for Best Picture the Academy Awards this year. Oh, yeah. And I I am going to talk more about it later as well because I have uh, this one a little bit higher. But I, I, I'm I almost in danger of like geeking out about Inside Out. I Anybody who's read on our site knows that I have a, a very strong affinity for Inside Out. And one of the things that you said is the writing is just... I mean, Pixar outdid themselves, uh, you know, for me, one of the better Pixar movies that there have been. And again, I'll save some of my comments, but I echo everything you said. Just a a pretty incredible movie for what it was about to be appealing to both kids and adults and uh, have both those kids and adults leaving the theater feeling like they learned something. That's something no one can match Pixar for, which is uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, it put my wife in tears, and to do that in an animated film for her is it's pretty difficult. So, good job. <laughs> that's <Disney>. awesome. <laughs> um, all right, no, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, my uh, my number eight movie is one that uh, I've written about on our site a little bit, and one that would definitely be higher for me if I didn't feel a small disappointment in the way it ended. And that's uh, my number eight movie is Ex Machina. Uh, written and directed by Alex Garland, who had who has written many um, movies that ha- have gotten a lot of critical acclaim, things like The Beach. And this is his directorial debut, and what an assured debut for him as a director. Incredible effects. It, I think it got an Oscar nomination for the visual effects. The, the movie is so thought-provoking. And the three central performances from Alicia Vikander, Domhnall Gleeson, and then Oscar Isaac, who I absolutely just adore, are amazing. Uh, there's kind of a, a, a verbal and a mental sparring between Domhnall Gleeson and Oscar Isaac. They're both very smart, uh, trying to be one step ahead of each other. And then you have Alicia Vikander, who really announced herself as a fantastic actor this year, playing a robot, for lack of a better word, or AI. Um, and she is just so realistic. Um, Ex Machina kind of presents a world that is both interesting, intriguing, and at the same time kind of disturbing. Um, but I love that it, it, st- it stuck with me. I think about it a lot, especially Oscar Isaac's character, who has so many indelible scenes. Um, I can't wait till he, Oscar Isaac, starts getting the recognition he deserves and the Oscar nominations, which I think will happen soon. Um, but yeah, just a, a, a very clever, very insightful movie about the way technology is moving. You know, it's funny. This is one that I've been tracking since early 2014, probably when I first heard about it. And it came out, and I didn't get a chance to see it. And then I bought it, and it's been sitting there since I bought it, probably, I don't know, April of last year. And I feel awful about it because it's one that I really, really want to see. And yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it. So I, I look forward to seeing that one. But um, 
without seeing it, it's one that I would I would highly recommend to everyone awesome. <laughs> to watch because I everything I've read about it. But I, I've stayed away from reading too deep into it because again, I hate having things ruined for me. So yeah, for sure. Um, my number eight is one that I think a lot of people didn't see and a lot of people kind of forgot about, but was Everest. Um, Everest came and went pretty quick from theaters, you know, get caught up in a lot of other big movies that were coming out near the same time and soon after it. Um, but Everest was the, um, true story of a group that climbed Mount Everest back in 1996. So up to, up to 1992, Everest had only been climbed by a handful of people. And one out of four people that climbed Everest up to that point died. And so wow. in 1992 um, was the first time that a, a kind of a course was set to get to the top of Everest. And what happened there was uh, one group who this movie is about started taking tours, basically, up to the top of Everest. Um, and these are people with experience and things like that. But anyway, it, it tells a story in 96 of this this uh, group where things went really wrong. The, the weather took a bad turn. Um, some mistakes were made and, and lives were lost. But the character, the acting in it, first of all, is great. You've got you know, Jason Clark, who is one of my favorite actors now and, and who doesn't get enough recognition. Um, yeah. But he really is a good, great actor. Um, you've got... Um, Gyllenhaal, oh, right? What's that? Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Thank you. I was, I was blanking. John Hawks. Um, uh, Bro Josh Brolin. Brolin. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Josh yeah, Josh Brolin. That's the name I, was, I was, couldn't think of. Um, you know, and a lot, of, a lot of other people in there who all really add to the film... Um, and it really is. It's one of those ensemble casts. You've got Sam Worthington in there, Emma Watson, Kira Knightley. Wow. Um, but it's one of those big ensemble casts where Robin Wright, where it's not just a couple people that carry it, but it's it's all of these people pulling together. And I wouldn't say that any one of those people is worthy of any type of nomination um, of any sort. But as an ensemble, yeah. they just they came together so well, and you really feel the emotion. And the the kind of the excitement of everything that's going on when you're you're watching the movie, um, really well shot. It was uh, it was it was one that really just jumped out at me. It was, it was one that I'd really wanted to see and had waited to see, and and unfortunately, again, a lot of people didn't get to see it in theaters. But seeing it, it was one of those ones I made the trip to see it in the, the IMAX 3D um, because some that's of those awesome. shots are just absolutely incredible to see on those uh in that format which is i think what it was really made for um but the director um balthazar i can never say his last name um samper i think is his last name or cormacur i can't remember which he's got three names um <laughs> hasn't done he's recently done a few um English language films, uh, none that were anything great, some action movies, but this right. one really, really stood out. Um, and I was 
as glad to say, I hope to see more from him. Again, I think he did a great job telling the story, pulling out good performances. Um, yeah, it's just an exciting movie, but definitely high on my list. I've seen it four times wow. now. Um, it was one of those ones where I, I got a little bit more, I think, each time I watched it. Just truly enjoyed it. That's awesome. Well, and you, I mean, being 100% honest, you've convinced me to go and see it when I saw the first trailers, uh, especially with the ensemble you talked about. The people I saw, Josh Brolin and Jake Gyllenhaal and Kira Knightley are the ones that stick out to me from the first trailer that I saw. I thought like, oh, wow, you know, and you saw a lot of the gorgeous cinematography in the trailer. But then, you know, reviews, generally speaking, weren't great. They weren't terrible, but they weren't great. And it kind of disappeared quickly. And so I was those people that you're lamenting who didn't get to see it because, you know, it kind of fell by the wayside. So now you've, you've kind of reignited my desire to go check out Everest. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, um, it's worth a watch. Yeah. Uh, my number seven is, is, I guess, one of my pet favorites, if you will, a, a, a pretty under-the-radar independent movie <laughs> about Inglewood, California, um, about three friends who kind of get involved in uh, something they didn't want to get involved in, some some drug running, basically. My number seven is a movie called Dope, um, directed by a guy whose name I also struggle with pronouncing, Rick Fame, uh, Famuyiwa, perhaps. Um, and I was so blown away by the creativity in this movie. Um, it's the performances are great. The music, which a lot of it comes from Pharrell. He, he was the supervisor and he wrote some music that they sing in the movie. Um, fantastic, uh, music. And my wife and I both really love the message. There's this message in the movie about the idea of what really makes someone intelligent. And if someone is street smart or if someone is, you know, from a place uh, where it's kind of, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stereotyped as not creating smart people or not breeding intelligence. Um, is that kind of intelligence that someone can gain there just as uh, worth it, just as worthy as some, you know, a Harvard educated type of person? And I like the idea. It really made me think about that a lot. Plus, I, I am a high school teacher, and it dealt with these students trying to get into college, which is a, a, an interesting thing to me to see them kind of going through this. Um, just not a movie that you expected to be or that I expected to be so moving and exciting and quirky, but still so good. It, similar to a movie we'll both talk about later um, called The Big Short, uh, so many disparate elements involved that the director just had to corral into something where it feels like it shouldn't work. And then it, it feels almost brilliant when it does work. I, I was such a huge fan of dope. Uh, yeah. It's one that I also, I missed as well. Um, and for those of you listening, it will be on Netflix February 10th. So it'll be an opportunity to, to watch it then. But I, um, I was actually already a fan of, um, Again, I can never say his name, Famuyiwa, uh, uh -huh. as well. But his his first movie he ever directed, The Wood, was one that I loved with uh, Tay Diggs, I think Omar Epps, and um, Jones, Richard T. Jones. Um, nice. And I, I really liked that one. And and I've I saw one of his other ones too with Tay Diggs a few years later, I think, uh, with he and Sine Lathan. 
um, brown sugar. That was a good oh, movie yeah. as well. But the the wood was one that I, I really liked. So, and I remember watching that and thinking, this is it's one of those movies that you know it's not a huge movie. It's subtle and it's all about the performances and the the story and the actors, which those are always great movies, but often overlooked movies. And yeah. um, so I'm excited to see that one um, as well. And I. It's at February 10th. I, I just checked that today. It will be yeah, on Netflix. Awesome. So it's very, it's very funny as well. I bet. Plus, it's close to home. We grew up. Yeah, for us. You know, Southern <laughs> California and Long Beach, and and it's always fun to see movies about things that that happen close to home. So for sure. Um, my number seven was a, uh, a much bigger film, The Hateful Eight. Um, this, well. Quentin Tarantino, first of all, it's it's hard for him to make a movie that wouldn't make my top ten list. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the the only one that comes to mind is maybe Death Proof. That would probably be one of my just missed though, because uh-huh. uh, I did enjoy Grindhouse and and that. But the funny thing is, is Tarantino doesn't even claim that. What it, I think the Hateful Eight says the eighth film by Quentin Tarantino. Technically, uh-huh. it's actually his ninth. He doesn't claim <laughs> death proof in those, which uh, is That's odd. Yeah. But, um, but Hateful Eight, I think one of the things that really stood out to me over a lot of the movies this year, both on my list and not on my list, but was the cinematography. The cinematography oh, yeah. and the art direction of some of these movies is just spectacular. Um, but the Hateful Eight, I had the opportunity to see it both in the regular and then as the uh, in the the big the road show the 35 millimeter road 70 millimeter road show which was um absolutely amazing to see it on that in that format if you ever get that chance or if you have a tv big enough at home which i'm sure when it comes out on the (laughs) dvd release um it'll do but it was just it was beautiful it was the music was wonderful i love the music and that stood out to me it's kind of a Quentin Tarantino thing for music to always be great, but oh, yeah. the last his last few movies, music didn't really stand out to me. Django, I love Django. Music didn't really stand out, right? Same with... Right. Um, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards, same thing. Music didn't really stand out. Um, but this one, just it was all original for the movie, which, which is a little unusual for Tarantino as well. Um, except for these last two, but this was so well done. We saw, and then the writing. The writing in Tarantino movies, right, is always off the wall, crazy, but but it's it's well written, right? And oh, yeah. it all comes together so well through the movie and how it's told. Um, and this is one of his movies that's told in fairly chronological order, um, but it. It's really well done. The performances by everybody, you know, were were awesome to see. I'm a huge Tim Roth fan. I was glad to see him back in a in a Tarantino movie. In a Tarantino movie, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, and you've got um, Kurt Russell, of course. Walton but, Goggins, uh, I thought, almost stole the movie, even with all of these other <laughs> great performances too. I am a huge Goggins fan ever since The Shield. Uh-huh. Um, I've I've been a huge fan of his and Justified and his his roles on Sons of Anarchy here and there, which if you hadn't seen, that. just try and find just those scenes because they're <laughs> they're great. 
but he is a great actor and it's great to see him in something now that puts him in that spotlight but right. it really does have that kind of reservoir dogs feel to it in a way which i really like and i love that he was able to tell this entire story this entire movie pretty much in this one um room room right um, yeah. But everybody, Bruce Dern as the Bruce Dern old <laughs> old general. You've got the whole North South thing going on. You know, even though it's after the war, you've got even Channing Tatum's role, which I knew was in there. I thought was going to be more of a bit thing, but no, he's good. But he he did really well. Um, you know, of course, Jennifer Jason Leigh. She was great. And oh, yeah, she. I would have been very sad if she didn't get the Oscar nomination that she did because I thought she was pretty fantastic. Yeah, but it was another one of those ensemble casts. And I think I agree with you. I think the the two best performances in the movie were Goggins and and Lee. Jennifer like, Jason Lee. They I were, 100% they were agree, the two yeah. best. Like Samuel Jackson was great, but I felt like he's he always was, great. He's he's always great. And it wasn't it didn't stand out enough for me to be worthy. Django Unchained, I thought his performance was Oscar worthy. Yeah, this one, good. not so much. Great performance by everybody, but um, no. But I, I really, really liked this one. It was, um, it really stood out, and I, I thought it was a great western, but yeah. but had plenty of the, um, you know, the grit that it. It really reminded me of some of the old. Westerns. If if anyone's ever seen the original Django, which was in the gosh early seventies, late sixties, um, you know this kind of had that feel to it, just in the level of violence and absurdity at parts. Right, right. Um, but great film. I, I I really enjoyed it, and despite the running time, it was you know I, it was worth seeing again. And I, I didn't even I don't remember what the I think it was like two hours and forty five minutes, wasn't it? And then the yeah, even in the short version, I think it's yeah, the seventy millimeters three oh five hours. Yeah. yeah, so but it doesn't feel like that in any case. It it doesn't feel like you're sitting there for that much longer. So it was a good movie. But. Well, and I I'm glad to be able to like you know converse on this one because I saw it as well, and it, it I mean it's it's surprising because I agree with everything you said, and I I didn't have it in my top ten or my just missed. And that was more of a product of my, I guess, my expectations with Tarantino. Uh, I, I was really impressed by the cinematography because it wasn't, there were some gorgeous shots, but a lot of it is just the way that Robert Richardson, uh, the DP, mm-hmm. plays with focus within this room and the way that he finds these creative ways to shoot. There's a great shot that I won't ruin, but where Channing Tatum first appears that they just, the writing and the cinematography work so well in that scene. You talked about the music. Ennio Morricone, who's like a famous Western composer, hadn't composed for a Western for years. Mm-hmm. Basically, Tarantino kind of coaxed him out of semi-retirement to do <laughs> this. Um, and so it, it seems odd, you know, because I'm on the bandwagon with everything you said that I didn't include it in my top 10. I ultimately didn't feel, you know, maybe quite as strong in my opinion except all the parts I thought were really great and so uh, yeah I can only say I agree with everything that you said and and seeing it on the big screen even for kind of a claustrophobic movie was definitely worth it yeah it's definitely I think the the beauty is in those things right of 
it was less about Tarantino, this movie, which is helpful. Yeah, is is odd, I think, for his movies. It definitely had his flavor in it because it's his writing, his dialogue. Oh yeah, and he narrates a little portion as well. Yeah, which it took me a while. I was like, to realize that was his voice. (laughs) But um, it's funny because he doesn't. I feel like he almost didn't even direct it. Like he gave the actors the script and said, "Here's (laughs) what you're gonna do, and do it." And he just sits back and and lets everyone else do the work on this one. It was. (laughs) And that's why I feel like I'm okay with him not getting a Best Director nomination. I'm okay with the movie even not being nominated, um, not being a Best Picture, right? Right. It's, but the performances in it, it's so worth worth seeing. Um, The performances, all those different reasons. Again, I think that's the other thing. Not just cinematography this year in the art direction, but the uh, the ensemble casts. Yes. And a lot of these movies really fantastic, really stood out. And that'll come up, I think, quite a bit more as we go through our list as well. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you earlier you had mentioned to me how there were so many great movies in 20, 2015, which I agree. And that The Hateful Eight not being on my list is really a testament to that. And then uh, my number six here, I wrestled a lot with, especially just because we're kind of we're splitting our podcast, which doesn't mean anything necessarily, but I went back and forth between my six and my five here. And they are both uh, considered by most people currently on January 25th to be the two front runners for best picture. And uh, it, it took a lot of thought in my mind to say where I would put one, but the number six one on my list is the revenant, um, which is so technically gorgeous. Uh, you have, uh, uh, Inyaritu, who won Best Director last year for Birdman, you have my favorite cinematographer of all time, Emmanuel Lubezki, who may in fact win three Oscars in a row for his cinematography if The Revenant wins. Uh, there are so many incredible shots. Um, I know you will talk a little bit more about it later. I don't want to say too much, but a lot of extended sequences that are just stunning to watch. And I, I have admitted before, I am not perhaps as big a fan of DiCaprio as many are, but I thought his performance was worthy of all the things that everyone said about it. I was happy to see Tom Hardy get an Oscar nomination. I loved the way that there was some ambiguity that played into the end of the movie. Um, And I I had read some reviews before I saw it that implied maybe that it was a little colder, that it kind of lacked emotion. And so perhaps it helped me like it even more because when I saw it, no, I, I felt like I was emotionally involved i felt like i was moved by it and i felt like uh the way that the movie ultimately wrapped up or didn't wrap up in a nice little bow actually really kept me thinking about you know what did it mean what was it all for and uh you know at what cost sometimes do we achieve the goals that we set for ourselves so i i i found it to be just pretty masterful movie making yeah, I uh, again, I'll talk about this a uh, different point on my list as well. But it it was a great film, and again, supporting cast. It, it was funny when I when I went to see it. As long as I've been following it, waiting to see it, and that I didn't realize that Will Poulter was even in the movie. And then I see him in there, and then he ends up being a main character in the movie, um, playing Bridger. I, you know, I wasn't, yeah. I didn't realize that. And, 
And I was I was really impressed with some of the performances um, that weren't DiCaprio. Yeah. As well in the film, but you know it was interesting. I I didn't know. I had heard when they were, um, you know, after it had been filmed and all that. I'd heard there was a lot that had come about how rough the shoot was and all that, and how they'd done it. And it was funny. I yeah. was reading a thing that Naritu uh, said where he said, "Look." We could have made this on a soundstage. Everybody could have had their coffee. We could have done green screen and put it in, but then the movie would have been crap, right? And I thought it was interesting that he shot the whole film chronologically in these actual, you know, in these places, all this being filmed in these actual cold places. Crazy locations. On set, you know, and eventually moving this shoot all the way to um, Argentina because it was the only place they could find the type of snow and mountains they needed, they needed in July yeah. because shoots had gone over schedule and over budget, right? I mean, this was yeah, originally yeah. a sixty million dollar budget, ended up costing one hundred thirty five million dollars because Crazy. of all the extra time it took. But um, you know, but it, it paid off in the end. And he yeah. said he wanted to be able to see in the actors there. He wanted you to be able to see that wear and tear on the actors over time, which is why they did that chronologically. And, and it shot worked. the film, and it does it. It works, but again, I'll talk more about it as we later on. But it uh, definitely a great movie, great movie this year. So, um, where are we? Number six, my number six um, is Star Wars Episode Seven. I so let's set aside the fact that I am a huge Star Wars fan, <laughs> um, even though I was too young to remember. I was um, I saw Empire Strikes Back in theaters originally. Nice. <laughs> I believe it came out the year I was born. Um, <laughs> but I was, you know, my mother told me, you know, we we were not going to miss the movie, so we took you <laughs> with us. Um, oh, that's funny. You know, and Return of the Jedi, of course, saw the big screen that. But and I, you know, we we're old enough too, where we got to see the uh, when they re-released them in the '90s as yeah. well. They, Lucas, that was his, the first time Lucas tampered with his original work and added <laughs> some, some, um, uh, digital effects in there. We're in the late nineties and they re-released them all. But, um, I, I thought this was an excellent film. You know, when episode one came out in 99, before it even came out, um, and that was, you know, I was one of those people in line waiting to see the show at 1201. That's the first movie I honestly remember them ever doing that with, um, but it was it was so huge. And but before that came, I remember thinking there is no possible way that a movie can live up to the hype of of this film. I don't care how good the movie is. I don't care that it's a Star Wars. This movie is going to have a lot of issues because it is so hyped up, right? And I was terrified of that with this one coming out. But the brilliance of Abrams and I'm sure a, a whole team of people to uh, never give away very much about this movie. Right? Really we got finally. the we really got the exact same I know finally, not just Star Wars, but with most movies. Any but, movie. But leading up to this whole thing, we got just these bits and pieces, and it was really just the same bits and pieces repackaged <laughs> into different cuts over and over again. Yeah. And what a brilliant job they did of that, building up to this. And then really with how they filmed it, right? it felt like you were watching 
those original Star Wars again, right? With not just with going with the practical effects, but but in kind of the grittiness of how they filmed it, the writing, the characters, it just it really had that feel of watching the original trilogy again. And I will say, I am a fan of all the Star Wars movies. I like the, first, the original trilogy, and I like the, uh, the prequels the as well, one through three. Um, you know, I, I don't have some of the same issues that people have. I, I, they're movies, and they're fun, right? And the odd thing is, if you show these movies to kids nowadays, their favorite one tends to be episode one. I know. Isn't that the weirdest thing? But, but they love it. I think it's because there's someone in there they can relate to. So um, <laughs> anyway, I, I just – and the, the performances in it, not just from the old ones, right? Harrison Ford who – Yeah, he was great. When is he not good, right? But to yeah. see those other pe- those people on the screen again and give kind of that closure that epi- – I've, I've said it since it came out. Since I first saw it on, you know, I went to the marathon. I saw, sat there in the theater and watched episodes one through seven um, the day it came Crazy, out. Crazy, but awesome. And uh, I was the same thing I said right after I got out of that, but this was the movie that we all wanted in 1999. Yes. Right? We grew up watching Luke, Leia, Han. We wanted to know what happened to them after Return of the Jedi. And I think that's where. That's where the, you know, the force of this movie really comes from, no pun sure. intended, is from <laughs> being able to have that closure for fans, and now we're willing to take to accept new characters into this universe, right? But I think oh, yeah. fans really needed that closure, and the movie was just spectacular. I mean, you look at yeah. the cinematography of those scenes, you know, at the opening where you've got these downed um, destroyers and you've got these ad ads and all this. Things from the old world, right? And then to see these these battle scenes that have always taken place in space, right? But to watch them out on land, that Millennium Falcon scene at the beginning is just so great, incredible, right? And then even the scenes later on where the the X wings come across the water and really just a great movie. And I, I, you know. I think a lot of people always try and make their lists about, oh, the greatest performances and the the best art, and this is so well-directed. But this was just a fun movie that everybody could enjoy. Oh, yeah. Um, But I'm I'm really really excited. Yeah, and I'm excited to see what Disney's going to do as they, you know, they have Star Wars films planned every year for the next, like, seven or eight years now. Yeah. They're going to end this, the Star Wars episodes with episode nine. They've said that will be the last one. But they're starting a whole bunch of other franchises, Star Wars uh, franchises as they go. And so it's going to yeah. be exciting. Um, but Well, yeah, and, and before you sign us off for this first half, uh, uh, honestly, another tribute to the great movies that came out this year that I didn't have it on my list because I loved it. I thought the script was great. Um, I thought the little tiny twists that they gave us were great. I thought the performances were great and the way they kind of returned to the original style while keeping it modern, um, kind of nodding to episode four, um, letting us feel some uh, nostalgia for the old characters. But Mm -hmm. as you said very well, introducing the new characters in a way that uh, we, we love them already 
it was what J.J. Abrams was asked to do was almost impossible. And the fact that he pulled it off with such a plum is, you know, it should have been, it should have been impossible. And, <laughs> and he, he made it happen. And that's, that's the joy I felt watching it. So that, yeah. Abrams, Abrams really is great. I mean, he is, um, and I know he's a big Spielberg fan as well. That's where he draws a lot of his inspiration. And it shows when you watch his films, he is a great storyteller, right? He's really good at telling that story and bringing those performances out. And I, it was funny. I was, um, just the other day I was thinking about it. I'm like, Abrams really hasn't, hasn't made many movies. If you look back, you go to his IMDb and you look yeah. at what he's done, he really has not made many movies where he's directed them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Mission Impossible 3 was his first one. Mission Impossible 3 and then uh, the Star, the two Star Treks and Super 8. Yeah, and it's like it, – but we he's such a common name now I think among yeah. film goers even before this, right? And it's yeah. – so it was really – his love for not just the sci-fi genre, but for Star Wars really came out in the film. And I was, yeah, I was happy to see it. But this was like 2015 was an awesome year for movies. And I think a lot of movies don't get the credit they deserve. We were too – critics are just too hard on things, right? And it shows. When you look at what critics say versus what audiences say, it right. shows, right? I mean – there were a lot of big, the big blockbuster movies this year that I thought were tremendous and a lot of fun. Like I really enjoyed seeing the movies, the Jurassic Worlds, the Jurassic World was fun. You know, Avengers Two, even the Furious Seven, right? Like I love yeah. the Fast and Furious movies. Who cares if none of this stuff could ever happen on any planet? <laughs> no, you <laughs> can go know. from building to building. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but but it's so much fun to just sit there, eat your popcorn. And enjoy these movies, and I, we got a lot of that this year, and I, I was really grateful for that, really grateful for that. So, um, anyway, I think that about wraps up this um, podcast, and you know, check back um, where we will have the our top five as well. Uh, but until then, have a good day, and check us out on RogueAutours.com. Thanks. Thank you.